Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here today. Uh, and good morning and, and all that good stuff. We've got some great stuff coming up. In fact, I really, I don't know, I'm one of those guys that I love sports. I love football. And so next week, I'm just kind of like, I'm ready. I, I'm, re- I'm so, I'm past ready. I've been so excited about it. And some of you are like, oh, football, oh, man. And some of you are just the opposite of me. Well, deal with it. You'll be fine. Uh, And we're going to hear from some great stories uh, from these guys and their faith and their struggles. We're going to hear some of their struggles as well. It's going to be powerful. Uh, It's going to be real. Uh, And so I'm excited to hear them on that. And you'll hear a little bit from me too, but uh, it's going to be a great day. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, those of you who are here for the first time, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking a risk uh, on us. Thank you, for, thank you for choosing to be here with us. We're glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you to ask questions about God, about faith, about the Bible, whatever questions you have about, about life, the meaning of life, why you're here, your purpose. Um, we look forward to those questions. And this is a safe place for you to ask those questions. So we're glad that you're here. Well, today is the last day for our series that we've been in called Engage. And I know you guys have really just leaned into this one. I've, I've gotten so many, we've gotten as a staff so many messages and, and, and questions, and you guys are really leaning into this, and that's good, because here's the deal. You have to get into God's Word. Non-negotiable for you. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your past is, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter where you're coming from, doesn't matter what you were taught, doesn't matter what article you read that says this is a bunch of stories, it's not true, doesn't matter. You need God's word in your life on a regular basis. That's the whole point of this series. Okay? We made, said that from the beginning. I've said it every Sunday, and the, today is the day where we kind of wrap that up. Now, here's the deal. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to, three weeks ago, I started by telling you kind of the general sense of the Bible. I gave you the organization of the Bible. What's the Bible about? Kind of what's the organization? Today, we're actually going to go back and revisit a similar idea, but in a completely different way. In fact, let me just tell you where the content from this message comes from. It actually comes, this is very rare that I do this, uh, because I really, you know, I, I, I wrestle and struggle with these things myself, but this is a, a, actually a message, not completely, I, there's a lot of tweaking that had to happen with it, but this is a message that was given by a guy named Pastor Kevin Myers in a church down in Georgia, and he tells the story of the Bible in such a powerful way It's stuff that I knew, and it's even some stuff that I shared three weeks ago, but I did not organize it in a great way. And so today, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tell the story of the Bible today in a way that I think will make great sense. This is one of the most important, most foundational, most most critical things that you will ever learn about God and about the Bible. I'm convinced of that. That's how important today is. Like, it is foundational. If we do not get this, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to get anything else from God's Word. Because this is so foundational. So how's that for getting started, right? 
So we're going to jump in and we're going we're gonna to do this and I'm going to tell the story of the Bible. And so, uh, in fact, let me tell you uh, another quote from a totally different pastor, Pastor Andy Stanley. Maybe you guys have heard of him. He's online everywhere, so you probably have heard him and watched some of his messages. But he says this about the Bible. He says, if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount or I would say discard the stories in the Bible. If you don't know the story of the Bible, what the Bible is about, it's easy to discount everything in the Bible, in other words. Today is all about telling you about the Bible itself so that we understand why we need to get into the Bible. Okay? So let's jump in. This is going to be a bit like a fire hose, so get ready. (laughs) All right? We're going to try to cover the Bible in about half an hour. All right? So the first part is we have the Bible, which is made up of two parts, right? We have the Old Testament part, okay? This is the Old Testament we could call the old promise or the old contract between God and people, specifically in this case, Israel, his people, okay? But this is called the Old Testament, the old contract between God and his people, all right? This is 39 books, and it talks about kind of that old contract. Then we make a a turn, and there's the New Testament. That's the second part of the Bible, 27 books, and turns on Jesus, Right? And this is all about Jesus and his life and his ministry and the new contract, the new covenant, which is why we call it the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old contract and the new contract. Okay? 27 books in the new, 39 in the old, together combined make 66 books, 40 different authors, covers 1,500 years of writing. Just to give you an idea of the scope of this. But here's the key to the whole thing. It tells one big, amazing, unified story. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years. It tells one story. One story only. And it's a big one. It's a powerful one. And so we're going to talk about that story here today. In fact, all that that I just shared with you, that's review. I already said that. If you want more depth into how the Bible is organized and and the different books and why they were written and all that kind of stuff, three weeks ago, go back and listen to that. Okay? Watch that. Okay? Three weeks ago, we covered that. That's all review. Now I want to turn in to tell you kind of how this gets organized. So we have the Old and New Testament. So let's get into this. So as you look at this, you can kind of see that it's kind of set up in a pyramid or a pinnacle pattern, right? So in the Old Testament, let's go to the Old Testament first because that's where the Bible starts. In the Old Testament, there's five key major events that happen that we need to take note of. I've preached on some of them. I have not preached on all of them. At some point, we need to. But I'm going to give them to you kind of in fire hose fashion, right? So the first major event that happens in the Bible, very first thing, and in the book of Genesis, is God and righteous people exist in paradise. Very simply, this is when God creates the universe, and then he creates the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, right? And what does he do? He places them in a garden that is perfect. Right? There's no sin, there's no sadness, there's no pain, there's no death. They don't have to go to work. They don't have to make a salary. Woo, woo. Some of you are like, bring that back. I hear you. The world is perfect. Adam and Eve don't even know that good and evil exists. They only know good. How good would that be? They don't even know that evil is a thing. That's pretty awesome. 
That's how God designed you and I to live, is to have goodness constantly with evil not even in the mix. So that's the first major event. God and righteous people, right with God people, that's what righteous is, right with God, righteous people in paradise, in a perfect world. Second major event, Satan and sin enter. This is where everything gets messed up, right? This is Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and then Satan comes and tempts them to eat the fruit. We're going to actually revisit that here in a few minutes. Okay? This is when Satan and sin enter our lives, enter our existence, enter our world, and messes everything up. The world is no longer perfect. Now Adam and Eve know good and evil, and they realize they are naked, and they're shamed, and guilt comes in, and all this bad stuff just floods in. Satan and sin have entered our existence and has been there ever since. Third major event, the world is judged and destroyed. Now, you've already heard this story multiple times. We just don't say it in that way. When I say it that way, it's like, whoa, that's an intense story. Yeah, this is Noah and the flood. This is Noah and the ark. The whole reason Noah had to build the ark is because God wiped out every living thing on the planet with a huge flood. Okay? This is the world is judged and destroyed because sin had so messed everything up. He looked at people killing each other and lying to each other and doing all these horrible things to each other. And God said, man, we got we to gotta reset. But of course, sin survives through Noah and his family because they're human. And so sin survives. It does kind of reset some things, but, it, but, but sin survives, okay? The next thing in Genesis, the next book, of, the next chapter of Genesis is a one-world government is established. Now, this is a story that maybe nobody has ever even heard of before. We haven't preached on it here in Northridge ever, at least not that I can remember. I don't, I'm pretty sure I haven't. I'd remember that. We haven't preached on it. This is called the story of the Tower of Babel. A lot of people call it Babel because God confused languages. It's not, it's Babel, the Tower of Babel. And so what people did is they all came together and said, let's all join forces. Let's all come together under one significant government. And what we'll do is we're going to become like God. We're going to build a tower to reach God and so that everybody will know who we are and we will be mighty. We will be awesome. We are going to be sovereign. We're going to be like God and we're going to build a tower to God and so that we can just walk up and hang out and be with him all the time. And they decided we are so awesome. We're going to do this. One world government. Fifth and final major event in the Old Testament. It's actually the rest of the Old Testament. Starts in Genesis chapter 12 and then continues through the rest of the 39 books. Yeah, that's, the rest is like the fifth thing. The fifth thing is that the Old Covenant is established. Okay? This is God making a promise to two people called Abraham and Sarah. And he says, I promise you, if you follow me, you will become a great nation. He's talking about Israel, by the way the people of Israel. He says, I will make you into a great nation. And through them, he promises, you're going to get the scriptures. You're going to get the Bible. Okay? It's through those people that we receive the scriptures that we now lean on and believe in completely for our faith. It's through them that we receive Jesus, the Messiah. It's through that lineage that we receive the Lord and Savior. And so God makes this old covenant, this, this contract between these people, and he says, I will be your God and you will be my people, and we're going to bless the world through you. So there's this old covenant, and the rest of the Old Testament is actually the story of the 12 tribes of Israel 
as they walked, try to, try to walk with God. As we know, it doesn't go well all the time. And so the 12 tribes of Israel are walking with God in this new contract, this new covenant. Now, here's where everything turns on the point, the whole point of the entire Bible. The whole story turns on the pinnacle, the point, the focus of what the Bible points to. And you guys know what this is. Laura already called it out. We didn't plan that, by the way. What's the pinnacle? It's Jesus. Right? The whole point, every, throughout the entire Old Testament, everything, all the prophecies, all the things that God is doing, all the things that the people are doing, everything that they're writing, everything is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to be here. Jesus is going to take care of this problem of sin. Jesus will arrive at some point, and all of a sudden, there he is. And in the four books, the beginning of the New Testament, so we have the Old Testament, Jesus, four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, Focus, the focal point. That's why a lot of people, when they say, where do I start in the Bible? You can start in Genesis and Exodus. That's not a bad place to start. In fact, I think that's a great place to start. But another possible place to start is to start at the focus, the focal point of the Bible. Everything is about it, and that is Jesus. The four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay? And so everything is about that. Everything is the pinnacle in the Bible is about Jesus. Okay? Then, this is what's interesting. And this is where Pastor Kevin Myers, when he shared this pff, a couple of years ago, when I was in the room, and he was sharing this with a couple thousand people, however many people were there, a lot of people. When he first shared this, I was like, yes. It's what I've understood my whole life, but I never understood how to make sense of it. Okay, this is what's very, very powerful and interesting. Okay, see the Old Testament and how those five things move up. Now, as you go down the New Testament, as you turn on the person and the ministry and the life of Jesus, now what happens is these same five events happen in the New Testament, but in reverse order. Really interesting. Watch what happens. Okay, Jesus arrives, dies on the cross, takes the problem of sin away, and he establishes, the first major event is what? He establishes the new covenant. So we have the old covenant, how the Old Testament ended. There's no hope at the end of the Old Testament. There's no hope at all. And then we turn and Jesus brings all the hope back in. I am the salvation of the world. And he establishes a new promise, a new contract that says, now if you simply believe in me, you can have freedom from sin and the effects of sin. But Jesus says, you have to believe in me. You have to accept me. That's a step that people have to take. It's a step you have to take. And so it establishes the new covenant, the new contract. The next major event, okay? You have to fast forward. Basically, in fact, by the way, the entire New Testament is about the new covenant, the new contract. Then we get to the last book of the New Testament. It's a book that most of us avoid. You know why we avoid it? Because it's revelation and it's prophecy. <laughs> and you read it and you go, uh, what? That's what I read most of the time, too, when I read Revelation. To be honest, I'm just being honest with you. The thing is difficult. One of the most difficult readings you'll ever have to go through. But the, Re the book of Revelation gives us the other four events, okay? So the second event that we get to in the New Testament is a one-world government. Remember, before one-world government, now we have another one-world government. This is future. This hasn't happened yet. This is prophecy now in the Bible, 
Okay? What it says is that there will come a time when our world will be organized under one main authority, one central government that governs the entire planet. Now let me pause for a moment. When I, if I would have said that 10 to 20 years ago, people would have looked at me like I'm crazy. Some of you are still looking at me like I'm crazy. Don't worry, I get that every Sunday, so you're fine. But isn't it interesting that I say that today and all the news that we've seen and a one-world government doesn't seem so crazy. You know why? Because the Bible says that's where we're headed. Now, it could be tomorrow. It could be next year. It could be uh, 500 years. It could be 3,000 years. You don't know and I don't know. The Bible declares we don't know. We're not going to know. There are some signs that point to it but we don't know when it's going to happen. But we have a one-world government. By the way, uh, let me just kind of give you a reference point for your life, okay? If you were to look at this timeline, you know where you're at on there? You know when you go to like the mall or you go to the national park and you look at a map with the trails or all, where all the stores are and you need to know where you need to go, but what do you need to know first? You need to know where you are, right? And they always have on those maps, they have a little dot and then next to it says what? You are here. You all know. You've seen them. You've used them. Huh, what do you know? You guys get lost too. That's awesome. Okay? I'm glad, I'm glad it makes me feel better. See, that's why I preach. It just makes me feel better. I'm just kidding. Okay? You want to know where you're at? You are here. In the timeline of the Bible and the story of the Bible, that's where you are. That's where we are. We've been there for 2,000 years. We might be there for another 2,000 years. We don't know. We've been there for 2,000 years. So Jesus came and established the new covenant, and now we're in this in-between time where Jesus has arrived. He's given us the solution for sin and death and all that kind of stuff, and he's given us that salvation, but now we haven't seen the one-world government yet. We will at some point in the future in humanity. That will be coming. We just don't know when. Okay, so that's where we are. You are here. Gives you a reference point, right? Now you know how to get through the rest of the story because you know where you're at. Okay, third event in the New Testament, the world is judged and destroyed. Okay, again, parallels with the first time. The first time God destroyed the earth with flood, you do, do, do you know that the Bible tells us how he's going to destroy it again? He's going to destroy it by fire this time. It's going to happen. That doesn't sit well with some of us, I know, but I'm just telling you the Bible declares that's going to happen. By the way, all this other stuff has already happened too. Right? We have these other four things that are prophesied. It's just a matter of time. We just don't know when. Okay? The world is going to be judged and destroyed. Uh, fourth, fourth major thing, Satan and sin exit. One of the greatest moments in the entire Bible, one of the greatest moments that the Bible declares is going to happen is when Satan and sin get kicked out for good. How many of you long to see that day? Yeah, amen to that, right? That's going to be a good day. It literally says in Revelation uh, chapter 20, I think, Revelation, it says, Satan will be cast out into hell. In other words, you created hell, Satan. You created evil. You created sin. You did all this. You're the one that's been tempting. Now you get to deal with the bed that you made for the rest of eternity. Literally, God will cast Satan into hell. For eternity. 
Satan and sin are gone. And everybody else that follows Jesus is left with perfection in paradise. That's going to be a good day for those that believe in Jesus. So Satan and sin exit. And then it leaves us with the fifth major thing, which is God and redeemed people in paradise. Revelation uh, 20, 21, 22, um, that, that region in there, it talks about the fact that Jesus will rule and reign and you and I, if we have Jesus in our life, we will be redeemed. We weren't, we're not perfect because we have sinned, but we will be reconciled to God in the future where we get to spend the rest of eternity with God in paradise. God and redeemed people in paradise. See how the mirror image works? It's powerful. It's amazing. Now, what I want to spend the rest of the time doing is telling you why this story is so important. Because you might be here and be like, well, that's great. I'm glad I have a pyramid that I can have a picture of or draw, right? But, but what the question becomes is, why is this important? Why does this story mean anything? What does it mean for you? And this is, to be honest, this is the hard part of the message. These three things that I want to tell you that is settled with this story, these three things are things that we do not like to mention, we do not like to talk about, we do not like to say out loud, but they need to be said because, again, remember what I said at the beginning, this is so foundational. If we do not get these three things, we cannot understand the rest of what God is doing. There are three things that are settled with this story. In other words, they're settled, they're sealed, truth, done. Can't argue with it. You can choose whether or not to believe it, but you can't argue with it because it's true. Okay? These are intense. Let me just tell you that you have to wrestle with these three. Okay? First one. It settles the fact that God is without equal. God has no equal in this universe, in your life, in my life, in your kids' lives. It doesn't matter where you are. God has no equal. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, if you want an easy place to find, if you're looking for a reference, this one's easy. It's page 1. Genesis 1-1. It's awesome, right? Where's Genesis 1-1? Well, first book, first chapter, first verse. Just turn to page 1, right? Now, you will have to get back to the concordance and all the descriptions that say well, how the Bible is and all that stuff, copyright, right? But first page, first four words. I'm only going to read the first four words of Genesis 1-1 because it's all you need right now to understand that God is without equal. You know what the first four words are? In the beginning, God. You know what that declares emphatically to you and I? In the beginning, there was nothing except God. Because God is the only one without beginning. Think about that for a little while and see how sick you get in your mind. <laughs> yeah. Had a conversation with that with my three children this week. <laughs> that was interesting. And a little difficult to explain. Because we're human. We can't explain God is without equal, but that's the truth. In the beginning, God. God creates everything because he's the only one that doesn't have a beginning. Okay? So, for example, uh, this reminds me of a joke that Pastor Kevin Myers told, and I loved it, and so I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> so the joke goes that there was a, a group of really, really smart 
people on earth. And they got together and they decided that they are so good, we've learned so much about the universe, that they no longer need God. Right? And so they decide that they no longer need God. And so they vote and they say, hey, somebody probably needs to let God know. By the way, that's hilarious, right? Because they don't need to let God know. God already knows, but whatever. All right? So they vote and they send this guy, this unwilling <laughs> victim, right? To go share with God that we've decided as, a, as humanity that we no longer need him. All right? And so they send the guy to God and, and God, you know, the guy kind of walks in there. I don't know if he's confident or sheepish, but he walks in to God and he says, so God, so we've been talking and we've determined that we don't need you anymore. We've decided that we just don't need you, that you're, you're a moot point. We, you know, we, we know so much about the universe. In fact, did you know, God, I don't know if you know this, but we've learned how to do cloning. We can actually create human beings. Like, we're, 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 we have arrived. We're doing good. And God says, wow, that's amazing. And, and God says, you know what? Would it be okay? Can we test this theory that you don't need me? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, I, I, I would like to have a man-making contest. We're going to have a man-making contest, okay? But, but the, the stipulations are you have to make the person the same way I did back in the good old days, <laughs> Uh, right? I'm sure God didn't say that, right? But, but you understand. Back in the day, when I first created Adam, we're going to make, you have to make him the same way, and I'll make him the same way that I made him back then. The guy says, okay, sure, absolutely. And so at that moment, then the guy stoops down, and he starts to pick up some dirt, you know, because he's going to make it like, like God did. Scoop up the dust of the earth, right? Scoops up some dirt, and God looks at him, and he says, no, 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 you get your own dirt, Ah, hmm. that test was over before it started. <laughs> you and I can't create out of nothing. We never have been, we'll never be able to. You know why? Because you're not God. <laughs> Neither am I. See, science and God, it, it, a lot of people debate like whether or not science and God are at odds and all that kind of stuff. That's ridiculous. You know why it's ridiculous? Because God created science. You know why he created science? Because he loves us. And because he loves, he knows that we are curious. He, in fact, you know why we're curious? You know why we're curious? Because God created us to be curious. He created us to desire to learn and explore and, and find new things and go deep in the ocean and go way out into space and be like, wow, look at this. Yeah, God created that. In fact, isn't it interesting that we get more excited and more joy and take more credit for discovering the things, right? Like DNA or molecules, right? When we discovered those things, it's like, whoa, did you know that we have DNA? There's like this double helix thing, you know, all this stuff. And we take so much pride in the fact that we discovered how we're created, what's inside us, what makes us tick. And we're like, whoa, we're awesome. We found this. And we don't take as much joy in the one who actually created those amazing things. It's kind of like, isn't it kind of just dumb for us to go to God and say, God, did you know? Like, did you see? This is called DNA. We decided to call it DNA. Isn't that cool? We're amazing. We're so creative. 
we're going to call it DNA, and there's a double helix, and there's all this, and then there's chromosomes, and you put all those together, and you have a human being. Like, this is amazing. We know the map, God. We figured out the map, and I'm sure God is sitting there. I'm, I mean, can you imagine him just going, I'm glad you finally caught up. <laughs> Did you forget maybe I had something to do with that? Like, I created it. Yeah, wow, my mind's not blown. Right? God is without equal. There is no debate. In fact, let me tell you this. This is off script now, but I think it's important to say. You guys can choose what you want to believe. But I will tell you this, and this is important. You can choose what you want to believe. God created freedom of religion. Our Constitution did not create that. Hello. Americans did not have the idea. We're not that good. God had the idea. He gave us, gave us freedom of religion. Did you know that? That's why he put the tree in the garden. He gave Adam and Eve a choice, an opportunity to have their own freedom. So let me tell you something that's true. This is one of the most important things that you will ever live by. You can choose whatever you want to believe in, but you will not be able to choose the consequences for what you believe in. Hear me on that. That's important. You do have the choice to believe what you want. You do not have the choice as to what that truth will do. That's a big deal. God is without equal. And by the way, when we choose to believe that God is not equal and he is unnecessary, what does that do to us? Well, that is us playing God. We don't like to say that phrase, but that's us playing God. We become gods ourselves. We decide that we're going to rule our own lives. And what does that do? You know what that's called? That's called sin. The Bible story, again, remember this Bible story declares all of this is to be true. That is sin. In fact, that leads us to the second point. So the first point is God is without equal. That's really important. We need to settle that in our life. You have to settle that for you. Second thing is sin leads to death. We do not like this, but it's true. Sin leads to death. Read the Bible, and it will be very hard for you to go very far before you discover that sin leads to very bad things. It just is. It's bad. It's dangerous. It's not good. It leads to death. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Listen to the first moment after God has created humanity. Listen to what happens. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Freedom of religion. And by the way, look at the extravagance of God. He gave them every single fruit in the garden. Everything except, what? Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, if you commit sin, you are sure to, what does it say? You are sure to die. These are God's words. Directly to the first humans. This is like from the beginning. God says, this is sin. If you go against God, it's sin and you will die. In fact, go on to the rest of the story. The next chapter, Adam and Eve, they're hanging out in the garden. Remember, perfect world. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? 
Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will, what? You will die. You won't die. I want to just stop there. That is the lie that Satan tells us every time. He told it from the beginning, and he's still telling all of you today. And we still believe it. We still believe it. He says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was just an innocent, willing victim. In the, oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. I'm sorry. It must have been like original Hebrew or something. No, no, let me, let me read the right version. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. <laughs> do you notice, though, this is important, because a lot of people actually, they do, they kind of throw this on Eve or something like that. That's stupid. He was with her the whole time. He, it wasn't like he showed up when she grabbed the fruit. Okay, now Adam may have played it off that way, because he's a good, normal guy. Like, what? What is going on? This, you mean this is the middle of the garden? I thought it was that one over there. Okay, Adam, whatever. Right? No, 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 no. Adam was with her the whole time. He was with her. He's listening. He could have stopped her. He could have said, Eve, no, don't do this. Let's go. He didn't. He sinned just like everybody else. And Satan and sin enter at that point. Sin leads to death. Now, here's, here's the problem. All right, I brought something, some fun with me today. Ooh. Don't worry, it's not real, right? I think you would guess that since I just picked it up from the floor next to my feet, right? This is a rubber snake. See? It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to bite me. I can stick it next to my jugular. We're fine. It's a rubber snake. Okay? Looks kind of real. But it's a rubber snake. Okay, here's the point. This is how we view sin. We view sin like it's a rubber snake. We believe it won't hurt us. We believe it's harmless. Maybe fun to play with. But not serious. Not deadly. Not dangerous. But let me ask you something. What would happen in this room if I decided to bring a snake that was real and was dangerous? We wouldn't do that, would we? Some of you are freaked out right now. I thought about it. You know what? The only thing that saved you guys is the fact that we don't have a little bit bigger room with a stage. Otherwise, I would have. For sure. But I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm going to share with you a video clip from a church, from Pastor Kevin Myers, when he did do this. And he brought one of the most deadly snakes out on stage with a very professional and well-known snake handler. 
He does this for a living, so he knows what he's doing, so don't do this. But he brought it out, and he made the point of how deadly sin is. And I want you to take a look at this clip when he brought it out in front of his congregation. And here, listen to what the snake handler tells you about the snake. Because it parallels what sin is. Take a look. One of the most dangerous animals on the planet. We have it Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona. I have it here in Georgia for you, the Western Diamondback. I don't know how many of you are in here. I'm going to assume, what, 2,500, roughly? There's enough venom there to kill every one of us. 320 milligrams. All it takes is a pinhead drop. You will look, get to see this morning what I see pretty much every day. Look death in the eye. This is a very dangerous animal. I'm going to take him out and put him right there. Oh, he's very much alive. Can you hear that rattle? Can you hear it? Oh, I like we're this honored to be with better. you this morning. Wow, I see the guy. Sure, Here, let me Let's get take out him of your out. Way. Put him right there on the rug. Here we go. Wow. There you are, sir. That is death. Western Diamondback. You okay, sir? You okay, sir? Don't bite that boot, please. Look at you. Look at you. Look at there. Now, he's done this so many times. We got to see those fangs. But what do you do when you're outside and you see a snake? Leave that snake alone. Unless you're like me. <laughs> you just got to look at it. Let's look at this snake fangs. Look at that. Watch him. He's going to get upset. Not going to hurt him. Right there, sir. You're okay. You're okay. Easy, 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 easy. Right there. Wow. Right there. Wow. That is looking death in the eye. You'd just love to get that hand, wouldn't you? Look at that tongue come out. Look at that tongue come out. Look at that. Touching my finger. Wow. 320 milligrams of venom. We got to see those fangs. And look at those cold black eyes looking at me. That's what death looks like. Let's see those fangs. Oh, there's one there too. Wow. Wow. see what death looks like. You see what sin looks like. Here's what we do. And it's important for you to know. This is what some of you are doing in here. I know you are. Because I know how powerful sin is. I know one who's more powerful, but you know how powerful sin is. And this is what we do. We treat sin like it's a rubber snake, and so we bring it into our homes. You bring it into your relationships. You bring it into your marriage. You bring it into your families. You bring it into your life. You bring it into your routines, your habits. You bring it into your thoughts. You bring it into your everything. And it's like a pet. And you treat sin like it's a rubber snake. And what God declares to you and I is that he says it's not a rubber snake, it's a real snake, and it's deadly, and it will kill you. I know it's uncomfortable. You want me to move on. <laughs> I know, because we do not like to deal with this. But with the story of the Bible, it tells us, it settles this, that sin leads to death. It will destroy you. It will kill you. It is over for you if you let sin stay in your life. 
We've got to get rid of sin. We've got to treat, stop treating it like it's a rubber snake and treat it what it really is, which is death. And that brings us to the third thing that is settled with the story of the Bible. And we're not going to like this one. This is going to maybe be the hardest one. You thought it was hard already. <laughs> this is the one that we do not like. As soon as I say it, you might have been fine with the message until now, and this might be the point where it turns. The third thing that is settled very clearly in God's word and in the Bible is that when it comes to sin, we are to blame. You are to blame. So am I. None of us are immune to it. We all have sin. That's why we need Jesus. We are all to blame. In fact, can we be honest here this morning? It is far easier, much easier to cast blame than to accept it, isn't it? I do it. I do it all the time. I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to be humble. I'm saying I do it all the time. I tend to try to deflect blame because I don't like how it feels when I have to accept it. But what God's story settles is that we are to blame for sin. It was not God's choice. In fact, here's what happens when we lose something, when something goes wrong, when sin kind of gets us, and actually we do get bitten by sin, so to speak, by the deadliness of sin. When something happens, when things fall apart, here's what we tend to do. I tend to do this too, so don't think that I'm immune to this. This is what we tend to do. We tend to start creating, making a case against God, don't we? We start creating the case against God. And what, what, let me just offer this. What if God is the one that has the case against us instead of the other way around? Again, I know, we don't like it. Some of you do not like this right now. But what if God is the one that has the case? Let me just tell you, he does. But let me also tell you that God doesn't leave it there, does he? Do you remember the pinnacle, the point of the story? Do you remember that? What's the point of the whole story, the Bible, everything about it? The entire point, the whole focus, the entire pinnacle is about who? Jesus. Why is it about Jesus? Because God is without equal, because sin will kill you. It is killing you, and you are to blame for it. But then God takes care of that problem by saying, I'm going to give you the way out. His, the way out is Jesus. That's a big deal. God says, I'm going to take the punishment. I have the case against you. Everything is stacked against you. The evidence is so clear, but God says, you know what? I would like to take their punishment. I, I, I want, I'm going to step in. I don't want them to suffer, and so I'm going to step in. I, I'll die on the cross. In fact, one of the most powerful verses, I would encourage you to write this down. I would encourage you to print this out. I would encourage you to find it on Pinterest. I don't care how you figure it out. <laughs> I would encourage you to pull this out. Romans 3, 23 through 25, the most, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture, and it tells us the point, the pinnacle. Listen to what it says. For everyone has sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. It doesn't matter who we are. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet... This is the hopeful part. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. How does he do this? 
He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they do what? When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's the point of our church. That's the point of God. That's the point of the Bible. That's the point of the story. To help people be redeemed and reconciled to God through a relationship with Jesus, but we have to take that first step to have one. So I usually end with a story, but I'm not going to end with a story here today. I'm going to simply end with the three things that I just told you, and I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going to be done. We'll sing a song, but I hope and pray that you wrestle with these. The three things that are settled in the story of the Bible, God is without equal. Sin leads to death, and we are to blame. Looking at those three, let me ask you this question. Out of those three, which one of those are the most unsettled in your life for you? Which one of those three are the most unsettling or unsettled You have not settled them in your own life. I believe that your answer to that question will lead you to freedom. I believe that. Will you lay down your life in order to pick up the story of God and the story that he has for you? I hope and pray that you do. Let's pray.